Hello, this is Elizabeth Thompson, the CEO at the National Osteoporosis Foundation. I'm delighted to join you today to talk about a report that we've just commissioned from Milliman, the actuarial firm, on the economic burden of osteoporosis and our patients. I'd like to elaborate just a little bit on how what we've just learned in our new report adds to what's already been known about the economics relative to osteoporosis and our healthcare system. First of all, what's important for all of us to know is that this report provides real-world data from Medicare claims that shows how the healthcare system is failing the 55 million Americans who have or at high risk for osteoporosis. For the very first time, we have real-world data on the rate of secondary fractures and their costs. The additional costs just for secondary fractures for seniors on Medicare fee-for-service is over $6.3 billion. And the potential saving just by adding fracture liaison services is $1.2 billion. Imagine that creating a value-based care system, doing what we know is best for patients, can create that kind of savings. We know that now that having this real-world data will provide the teeth that we need to create true change with policymakers. A couple of other things to note. Total costs to Medicare and patients are actually substantially higher than our number because our analysis does not include costs incurred by the roughly 30% of Medicare beneficiaries who get their care through Medicare Advantage plans. It does not cover prescription drug costs covered in Part D, and it doesn't cover long-term care costs, which, as all of us know, are largely covered by Medicare. So what were some of the surprises from our report? The sheer number of fractures was a surprise. Up to 2.3 million suffered by those on Medicare. That's much higher than we previously thought. Another big number, 19% of Medicare beneficiaries with a new osteoporotic fracture developed at least one pressure ulcer within three years of their initial fracture. This is important not just for the long-term care and quality of life for those people, but for the care of, and cost of wound care. Another big number, 7% of Medicare beneficiaries with the new osteoporotic fracture became eligible for Medicaid within three years of their bone fracture. Again, if we understand the trajectory of our patients, we know that they start on Medicare, and when they switch over to Medicaid, that means they've gone into a long-term care facility. So within three years of that fracture, their life dramatically changes, and they go from being independent people, maybe not entirely healthy, but independent people in their homes and having a life within community to going to a Medicaid facility long-term care facility. And here's another number to really think about. Nearly one in five Medicare beneficiaries died within 12 months, within a year, following a new osteoporotic fracture. This accounted for approximately 260,000 deaths among Medicare beneficiaries who suffered an osteoporotic fracture. And again, our report was based on data from 2015. Of these, about 164,000 were female and 96,000 were male. 
30% of those with hip fractures die within 12 months of their fracture. This number is up from what we previously thought was 25%. 30% of that 200,000, uh, those are very big numbers. Our analysis also showed that about 4% of the population, the Medicare population, had fractures. Um, and we just like to provide a little context for that. Um, is that higher or lower? Um, and also provide some commentary on secondary fracture rates of 15%. We know that uh, fracture rates are increasing as the population aging, uh, ages, and that's why it's so critical for us to act now. And we re-report a peer-reviewed study from earlier this year uh, with the Loki Singer report, which estimates that the total annual expense of providing care for osteoporotic fractures among Medicare beneficiaries, including direct medical costs, as well as indirect societal costs related to productivity losses and informal caregiving, to be $57 billion in 2018, and that number again, with the number of uh, baby boomers and others who are entering this new aging population, is going to grow to 95 billion in 2040. That number is just staggering. So how can we begin to make change? Our report notes that with reductions of even five to 20% in the rates of subsequent fracture, we could have substantial savings in the billions are those achievable goals, the reduction of five to 20%? We believe that yes, they are achievable. Medicare already pays for screening and treatment. We just need to do a better job to incentivize their use and make patients and physicians aware about the test and appropriate medication. And particularly in this area, moving towards value-based care, this should be an obvious target for policymakers. And we believe this is one area where we can really improve outcomes and reduce costs using existing tools without creating anything new or extraordinary. I'd like to comment now on what we think are key measures in achieving this and evidence on how we think they might be effective. One of the ways that we know all of this could dramatically change is if we adopted the fracture liaison service across our healthcare institutions. Even if we started at our country's major academic centers or largest and or largest hospitals and then moved that with connections to our primary care docs, we really believe this could change. As an example, we know that Geisinger, um, a large system in Pennsylvania has had tremendous success. Their HIROC, their high-risk osteoporosis clinic, aims to increase awareness, diagnose, and treatment of osteoporosis by implementing care pathways for four patient groups. One pathway is for patients with a fracture. And since the mid-1990s, this program has led to high levels of intervention among individuals at high risk of fracture, including enhanced consultative services and longitudinal care in both inpatient and outpatient sites. Here's another number from the Geisinger study that really is important. Prescription rates under their program were 75.4% among patients who are eligible for medication. 
and that compares to only 13.8% in patients in primary care generally. So, you know, just about 76% and just versus just about 14%. And we know that if we can diagnose patients and get them on medication, we can prevent so many of those secondary fractures. So this model, in addition to our economic data, really helps underscore what we need to do. Additionally, between 2006 and 2010, the percentage of women aged 65 and older with a Geisinger primary care doctor who had a, a BMD test, a DEXA test, within the primary prior years increased from 40% to 74%. So they're already doing at 40% better than the national average, but getting that up to 74% is really great. Again, if we start at the ground and get people diagnosed and understand their basic bone health, we're gonna make such a difference. I'd also like to highlight, and I know this is an educated group, but the incredible results that Kaiser's Healthy Bones program had. They demonstrated a reduction of over 40% in the expected number of hip fracture in 2009 through the implementation of a program identifying high-risk individuals. And by high-risk, that was people that they thought would have a hip fracture or were age 70 or older with any prior fragility fractures. And they provided additional DEXA screening and appropriate osteoporosis treatment. And this, of course, resulted in incredible cost savings and improvements in patient well-being. So not only the cost savings, but what patients truly understood as patient-driven value. The Kaiser numbers are truly amazing. They increased utilization of bone mass measurement, BMD, and medication adherence, which we know is a real problem for our patient population, and reductions in the expected number of hip fractures. The numbers speak for themselves. The re program reported an increase of 247%, let me say that again, 247% in annual BMD tests from 21,557 patients to 74,770 patients in the first four years of the program, among more than 620,000 patients. This included both men and women at risk for fragility fractures. So we know, again, from our economic data that we presented and that I um, was delighted to share with you today, and these two existing models in our country with our current insurance and payer models that just adding a fracture liaison service not only increases our testing at the front end for patients, our adherence to medication, which we know is a problem and really needs to be addressed, and prevents secondary fracture. We simply have to take these numbers, our economic policy report, and a united front from rheumatologists, orthopedists, primary care, endocrinologists, to our policymakers with a plan that says we need to institute fracture liaison services across the board for the quality of care that our patients need and deserve. Please join with us in helping Medicare understand that they need to incentivize the use of these programs, helping to defray any upfront costs and created bundle payment models that truly make sense. 
If you'd like to know more about this report, we ask you to come to NOF.org and click on the National Bone Health Policy Institute link and download the report and all of its findings. We also welcome your questions. And finally, we really ask you to join with us in this policy discussion. It's critically important for our doctors and our patients. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you'll join us.